But in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, Paul wrote the words, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ, or as some translations have and as is on the screens, that I may know Him. The Apostle Paul was not the first person to want to know the divine, to want to know God, or specifically there, to want to know Christ. Nor was he the last. I hope each and every one of us wants to know God. But it's a powerful thought to really think about that. And all this year, we have been utilizing our theme to think about the fact that we are strengthening our roots, knowing God through His Word. As we said last week, we've tried to emphasize that in several sermons, not every sermon. But we've also tried to use that uh, mindset or the, the encouragement, the motivation from that theme to think about some things sort of behind the scenes, working on Bible school and VBS and some other things. But we want to know God. We began 2016 in Psalm 1. We're ending 2016 with three lessons from the longest poem, the longest chapter, if you please, found in the Bible, the masterpiece that we know as Psalm 119. Last week, we thought about the fact that if we're going to know God, it's going to take slowing down a little bit. It is a walk. It's not a sprint. It's not something we get done right in the moment. It's a lifetime pursuit. And the world around us may think that's kind of boring, that you just walk and you need help on the walk. But oh, is it ever worth it. And you may think that these lessons are out of order as far as the emphasis of them, but I wanted to preach these lessons simply in the order that they're found in the poem itself. Because this morning we're going to think about really what is step number one. And that is the fact that if we want to know God, we have to want to know God. And so we're calling this morning's lesson, The Desire. The desire that it takes to know God. You could learn some things about God just by living in this life. The Apostle Paul hinted at that in Romans chapter 1. When he said beginning in verse 19... For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, or Godhead, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There are certain things you can learn about God just by living in this life and looking around you. You might learn some things about the Creator and the fact that He is organized and wise and all those things. But if we want to truly know God, it takes more than that. We can get some facts about Him from certain things, but to know God, to know Him, that should be the desire of our heart. To know Him as deeply as we possibly can, as intimately as we possibly can. And to do that, we must, well, we must strengthen our roots. We must dig into His Word. The only place to do that is by, having, by humbly opening the Scriptures to know Him. And so to understand that, we're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. And we're going to notice some things about knowing God and the desire that it takes to know Him. And to do that, we're actually going to begin at the end of this section, verse 40. And then we're going to come back and fill in the blanks. Because in Psalm 119 and verse 40, David shows us the humility that it takes if we are going to know God and have the desire to know God. 
He wrote in that verse, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. There is humility found in those words because they're words that show that the Word of God and what the Word of God brings was the deepest longing of the heart of the poet. And by the way, last week I said that David wrote Psalm 119. I've already said it this morning. I know there's some controversy about that. You may have gone home and looked up. Some say Ezra wrote this poem. Some say we're not sure. But from everything I've seen, I believe David to be the poet. So we're gonna, I'm going to use his name. And if that's incorrect, I think I can still get into heaven if I've got that wrong. Okay? But we're going to use David's name as, as the writer of this poet. But we're calling this his humility. And these words in verse 40 show his humility, and here's why. When you and I admit that we are longing for the teachings, or as is called here, the precepts of God, we are admitting that we cannot find the way on our own. Most of us don't use the word precepts all that often, except maybe as it pertains to where you see it in Scripture. But it's a very interesting concept The original word carried with it the idea of something that was mandated, something that was appointed. It had the idea of something that was set and could not be changed. Now, you and I live in a time where we're told that nothing really is set, that everything changes. There's no such thing as absolute truth, which makes absolutely no sense. Because to say there is absolutely no absolute truth is an absolutely truthful statement in and of itself. But we're told that you can't know truth. You can't understand that things are are set, that they are objective, that north really is north, that two plus two really does equal four, and so on and so forth. David said he wanted to know the precepts, the set things of God. And we understand that if David really is the author of this poem, he had learned that lesson the hard way, had he not? Because when he did not follow those set things of God... It always led down the wrong path, a path of difficulty and grieving. And so in his humility, he shows a desire to to gain life, true life, by finding those set things of God. A songwriter named Albert Brumley wrote the following that comes to mind when I read this verse from Psalm 119. He wrote the song that contains these words. When the raging storms of life confound me, dear Lord, wilt thou keep me thine own? Let me feel thy precious arms about me, for I cannot find the way alone. I cannot find the way without thee. Dear Lord, look down from thy throne and make thy light to shine around me, for I cannot find the way alone. I think that songwriter was simply echoing the words of Scripture, that it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We must humbly admit that we do not know the set things of God without seeking those things in humility. And so if we're going to desire to know God, if that's going to be the desire of our heart, it's going to take humility. And so with that as sort of the background, I want us to back up in this section, and I want us to see how David begins to fill in the blanks, how we can have that humility, and once we have that humility, the things that we must ask God for. And so we notice the entreaties or the requests that David makes of God. And in the other verses of this section, I want you to glance. If you've got your Bible open to Psalm 119, beginning of verse 33, I want you just to glance down the list, glance down the verses, and see how they begin. Teach me, give me, lead me, incline my heart, turn my eyes, confirm to your servant, turn away the reproach. Now that's just how those verses begin, 33 through 39. 
But there are other requests or entreaties made throughout the section. As David is showing the humility it takes, he, he says, I need to ask God for certain things if I want to truly know him. By the way, I chose the word entreaty not just to sound smart, but because it is a stronger word than just making a request. These are things that David is begging God for. He wants all of these things to be absolutely true. So let's notice them this morning because they're things we must ask God for if we're going to know him in the same way that the psalmist wanted to know him. First, he entreats God to teach me. Verse 33, it takes so much humility to admit that you don't know everything and neither do I. But it also takes a great deal of humility to admit that I want to grow to know more than I know now. And David has a strong enough conviction in the Lord to to entreat God to teach him. But notice what he wants to be taught in verse 33. The way of your statutes. Of course, later in this very same poem, I guess the most famous verse of this very same poem would echo the same thought when it said, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's found down in verse 105. You see, David understood that there is a way to following God. But I need to ask myself, am I willing to ask God to teach me His ways? Not just to confirm what I think is already the way, but to ask God, teach me your statutes. Of course, Paul wrote in the New Testament very famously that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto every good work. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. When you and I opened up the Bible, we should entreat God. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your rules, if you please. We should not just be looking for God to confirm the way we're already going, but to make certain we're seeking His real statutes. Teach me. And then adding a layer upon that, David entreats God, give me understanding. He takes things a little bit deeper. You see, it's one thing to seek head knowledge. We could ask God to to teach me something just for the knowledge, just so that I I have a head full of knowledge about biblical facts and figures and geography things and all that. But that's not the heart of the poet here. He is seeking understanding. The word understanding here comes from a word that means to distinguish understanding or to skillfully separate something in your mind. We might use the word discerning because we are really thinking through certain things. A few moments ago, as Brother Larry led us in prayer, and I appreciate him nearly every time he leads prayer. If you notice, he always leads us that we will study so that we can grow and the church can grow, echoing the words of the Apostle Paul to the young man Timothy. But do you remember how Paul ended that verse? that we study to show ourselves approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of truth. There's a level of thinking. There's a level of discerning, understanding that we need to seek. But David understands the reason why he wants God to help him have that understanding. Notice the ending of verse 34, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Have you ever noticed that when you understand a commandment of God better, you're more likely not just to follow it, but to appreciate it. Of course, we should follow all of God's commands simply because God gave them and He is God and we are not. But we are more likely to to follow in in a a loving way, an appreciative way, 
the more deep our understanding grows. For example, when we truly understand the picture that baptism portrays as the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, and when we truly understand that it's in the waters of baptism that by faith we contact the blood of Christ, and we truly understand that the blood of Christ replaced all those sacrifices of the Old Testament that we spend chapter after chapter after chapter reading about, when you and I truly grasp that, we are not only more likely to willingly be baptized, but to appreciate what it means. You see, there's a level of understanding that helps us to know God. And so we search the Scriptures. But we do so with a mind that seeks to discern, to understand When we open the Bible, we don't just seek to have our preconceived ideas taken care of. Instead, our prayer needs to be the same as the poet, that God would grant us the ability to understand, not just to gain facts, but to understand the way of God. And then David entreats God, lead me in the path of your commandments. The King James Version, if you're reading from that, makes this even more strong as it says, make me go in this path. The English Standard Version simply says to lead me. The original word simply meant to tread or to walk. And so the idea is that David was asking God to tread the path with him, to make this walk with him. But since it is the path of God's commandments, I think it is correct that the translators have given us that God leads the way or that God helps us or even makes us go that way, as the King James Version puts it, to follow the path of the commandments of God. And by the way, If you want to show off to your friends, the word commandments is a Hebrew word that you know. It's the word mitzvah, as in bar mitzvah. It can also be translated as a code, a code of wisdom or a code of law. But I want you to notice in this verse, verse 35, David's reaction to that code. Because at the end of the verse, he says, for I delight in it. Do you see those words? That path that he was walking down, the commandments of God, was something he delighted in. I need to ask myself from time to time, do I delight in the commandments of God? Do we see the commandments of God as something to be delighted in or as something that I just have to follow because God said to do it? Oh, how easy it is to fall into that trap sometimes, isn't it? To just follow a command just because God said to do it, so I'll just trudge through life following all these thou shalts and thou shalt nots until I understand what John wrote in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, that the commandments of God are not grievous. They're not burdensome. Some may be difficult to follow for a season or for a moment, but the longer we serve God, as the song says, the sweeter He grows. The more we see His commandments are there to protect us. They give us the abundant life that Jesus spoke about in John 10 and verse 10. And so we need to entreat God that He would, through His providence, lead us through uh, down the path that is always in keeping with His commandments, His code of law and wisdom. The next entreaty is to incline my heart to your testimonies. Literally, stretch out my heart to your testimonies. It's a word of effort. Notice that David is saying that God, he wants God to stretch out his heart toward good things, not bad things. Now, I find that interesting because God would not stretch our heart toward bad things. God would always stretch out our heart towards things that are good and righteous. But David is again showing his humility because he knows, if you please, where his heart is stretched before. 
and where that took him. And so on the other side of the coin, David asked God, stretch out my heart, incline my heart to your testimonies. That word testimonies in the King James Version is only translated that way, testimonies, except four times. Four times it's translated as witness. You see, this word means something that points back to something else or something that gives evidence to something else. And what David is entreating God here is, stretch my heart only toward those things that will point me back to you. What a beautiful prayer that is. God, bring my heart to only those things, things that witness to the goodness, the perfect moral way of God. But it's so easy, is it not, to let the things of this life and this world stretch our heart toward them. And so David says, stretch my heart and climb my heart toward you. Again, I need to ask myself, do I ever pray that way? Do I ask God to help me stay near those things that are only going to draw me closer to Him? Why is it so important for for our young people to be involved in activities provided by the church, by Tyler, by the elders, and by by some of the parents from time to time? There are a lot of reasons, and we can make a list a half mile long, I, I suppose. But one of those reasons is because they are around people who are stretching their hearts toward God at those times. Why do we stress the importance of being in a Bible class on Sunday morning and and coming to Bible study on Wednesday night? There's a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons is because we are taking advantage of a time to stretch our heart toward things that are righteous. When you go on vacation or go on other trips, do you take the time to worship with the saints on, on Sunday morning because God just commanded or because you want to have your heart stretched towards things that are righteous even when you are on your vacation? If our desire is to love God, to know Him, we need to pray that our hearts are stretched toward Him. And then the entreaty is given in verse 37, to turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. If you're reading from the King James Version, you have vanity. The word literally means useless or empty things. Now that could encompass a couple of different things, could it not? Obviously, it could encompass things that are evil, that that are wrong, things that are completely against the way of God. They may seem to have value in the moment, but if we look at the fruit of those things, the outcome of those things, we know that they are vain, they are empty, they're useless. But it also can mean things that just don't matter in the long run. They're not necessarily sinful things, but they're the things that that can distract us and pull our heart from what is righteous and good by taking our time and our mental energy. They're just things that that are empty. It's, It's not wrong to to at times just rest, to recuperate, to to sit down and watch a television show or a game or a movie. This is not against those sort of things. But how much time do we spend doing those sorts of things that in the end just do not matter versus how much time do we spend in things that stretch our heart toward God? That's what David is saying. I want you to turn my eyes from worthless things, not just sinful things, although obviously that's the case, but away from things that are going to distract me from the place my heart needs to go. And that is always toward God. By the way, we play a part in this ourselves because we're commanded in the New Testament to set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth, Colossians 3 and verse 2. But we can also ask God for help, and I believe he he will give it. And then the request is given, the retreat is made in verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promise. Of all the entreaties, all the requests that David makes in this, in this section of Scripture, I think this is the one that stands out in the starkest contrast 
to our society around us, and mostly because of the last part of verse 38. David asked God to confirm to him the promise or the word. The word confirm or establish, King James Version, is a word that means to stand up and to make firm. It has the idea of a, of a solid base that you want as a foundation or a background. When, in a few moments, when Brother Eric comes up to lead us in our invitation song, I'm going to use the words as we stand and sing. Don't do it now. I'm going to use those words. And, and when, you, when you stand up, you want a firm base underneath you, don't you? We understand that concept just in standing up. When you place a pillar in front of a building, the most important thing is the, the foundation that's placed on so that it will stand up straight. That's the idea behind this word. David wants to be sure that the word of God is that firm foundation upon which his whole life can stand. But notice the reason found in verse 38, that you, God, that you may be feared. Now, I understand the word fear can mean different things. It can mean to respect, to show piety, to be in awe of, and that certainly is part of the definition. But the Hebrew word here also means exactly what it says. It also means fear itself. It's a word that encompasses a lot of things. Yes, it means respect, but it doesn't always mean respect. Even for those of us who are, are faithful, as much as we love God and appreciate Him, we also understand that if we are unfaithful, there should be a level of fear because God holds our judgment in His hands. But if we're faithful, we fear God as in we respect, stand in awe. We need to build in our lives a, a healthy level of both the respect and the fear of God that David is writing about, and we will have a better understanding. And then finally, David makes the entreaty, turn away the reproach that I dread in verse 39. The word reproach is a word that we would probably better use the word shame. That's probably the word we would use more often, shame. David is making requests that things that are shameful be taken away. Do I ever have that desire? Now certainly, there is a sense in which if I sin, I should seek God's forgiveness. Certainly, we need to understand that. When we give in to temptation and we sin, we should ask God to forgive us. But that's not what's going on here. David's desire is so deep to love and respect God, to, to seek to follow Him so closely, that he's asking to take away the shameful things before he is ever tempted. Does that not stand in very stark contrast? It's the way many, even who wear the name of Christ, live our life. How many of us at times want to see how close to shameful things we can get instead of how close to God we can get? David's prayer is, take the shameful things away from me. We might word it this way, I don't want anything to clutter the path. I want to make certain the path to you is as straight and narrow, if you please, to borrow from the words of Jesus as it can possibly be. One way to seek God more closely is to ask Him to clear that path for us. Now certainly we will still face temptations at times, but if that's our heart, we'll be more likely to make certain that we're following the way to the Lord. Same slide as last week. I want to know God. And I know you do as well. I don't want to just know about Him I want to know Him as well as I possibly can, as deeply as I possibly can. And in this section of this very long poem, David provides for us, if you please, a template. 
If we will have the humility that it takes to say, I cannot know you without your help. And then entreat God to draw nearer, to make certain that we are knowing Him and understanding Him and making certain that we ask God to clear the path to knowing Him. Folks, we can know God. And it will be the greatest knowledge of our life. But we must make the steps necessary. We must spend time in the Word of God. We must, as David wrote in verse 40, long for the precepts of God. And when you and I have that mindset, then and only then will we know what life is really supposed to be all about. More about Jesus would I know. We sang that song several minutes ago now. And I want to ask one question of myself and of each of you who sang along with that beautiful hymn. And that is this. When you sang the words, more about Jesus would I know, did you really mean it? I can't answer that question for anybody other than me. And the only way to really know the answer to that question is to know if I'm willing to take the steps necessary to know God, to know Christ better and more deeply each and every day. This morning, if the longing of your heart is to know God, the major thing that stands in the way of that is our sin, our choices to separate ourselves from God, Isaiah wrote about. But God is loving and merciful and gracious enough that he'll take that away if you will simply walk the path that he has set up through his word. If you'll simply believe that his son Jesus really is your Savior and your Lord. If you simply will turn from those sins Refute those things. I'm not going to do those things anymore. We call that repentance. If you'll simply confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and if you'll be baptized, immersed in water, for the forgiveness of your sins, that major barrier between you and God at that point is taken away because sin is what separates us from God, and God will remove it based upon our faithful obedience because of what He has already done through Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you are a Christian, and you're kind of on the path, and you're kind of not on the path, or maybe the path is cluttered and and you haven't been praying to God, God, clear the path. I want to walk towards you. I want to know you. And this morning you want us to pray for your forgiveness or maybe just your encouragement as you seek to know him better each and every day. This morning, if you need to become a Christian, or as a Christian you need to return in faithfulness, or you're discouraged and you need to be encouraged, whatever your need, we invite you to come. Always stand and sing to encourage you.